Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the yes, own goals is back of the podcast. Where have you been, old friend? And I'm joined by the Luke Ailing, deep in his own goal of the podcast, Darren Driver. <laughs> what is he doing there? And finally, the Joffrey Gelhart of the podcast, always there and thereabouts, but having not made his first team debut yet, it's Simon Tinsley. Simon, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, thanks. I think that's the, the kindest third spot intro you've done, so feeling honoured. We had to make sure we got the dig in at Darren, of course, but <laughs> I, I figured with you being a, a debutante, we had to we had to do you last, but um, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna hammer you. So unfortunately, Darren drew this short straw again. But <laughs> thank you so much for coming on at, at such short notice. Uh, it's, it's great to have someone on who is 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 a different voice and uh, also someone who's going to say something a bit more positive about Diego Llorente uh, for a change. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, looking forward to it. And Darren Driver, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. Uh, I was going to demand a steward's inquiry for, you know, still getting pelters in the middle position, but you, as you quite rightly point out, it's not really fair to, to hammer Simon. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I enjoyed um, this morning over my my breakfast. I uh, really enjoyed watching the highlights of West Brom Chelsea yesterday. Not because I've got any particular beef with this Chelsea team, but I always like it when financially doped sides look stupid. So <laughs> I, I very, very much enjoyed that this morning. Well, let's just d- dig in with the review from yesterday. A 2-1 win over Sheffield United at Elland Road. And I'll start in time-honoured fashion by saying how did that feel? And I'll go with you, Darren. How did that feel yesterday? Do you know, it was a bit frustrating all told because I, I felt like from from minute one, we were we were clearly superior to Sheffield United in, in ways that we weren't, you know, like in the reverse fixture. It was a much tighter, much closer game, which could really have gone either way. But I really feel like we kind of failed to make that, that superiority count and that, that we got into loads and loads of really good positions, loads of dangerous areas. But like, I, I just felt like our decision making was really poor throughout throughout the kind of the game, really. So we ended up with with feeling like we dominated an entire game but with hardly any true goal scoring opportunities to look you know to to kind of show for it so yeah all told I I was I was a bit frustrated and and I was even more frustrated because I'd spent two weeks 
looking forward to it because I studiously ignore international football to you know to the kind of point of uh, stubbornness so <laughs> I'd, I'd kind of built myself up to really enjoy this game and, I, and like in the first 10 minutes I thought yeah we're just going to absolutely smash these off the park and it's going to be really good fun and then it turned out to be not quite as much fun as I hoped it would be. Simon how about you how did you feel about the game? Yeah I, th- I think I agree with that it probably felt more nervy than it should have done uh, for the level of domination we had it, it felt like a little bit of a throwback to a championship game where we uh, dominated the other team, but the, the scoreline didn't reflect it, and therefore you were kind of unnecessarily sweating about the result come the last like 10, 10 minutes or so. Uh, but overall, I mean, I watched the, the extended highlights back this morning, and it was more comfortable than I remember um, at the time. Yeah, I was looking at the um, the XG on StatsBomb on FB Ref this morning, and it was I think it was 2.5 to 1 in our favour, obviously. Um, so we did we definitely created enough to win, I think. There's no no doubt about that. And let's not forget that the, the own goal was obviously not credited in the XG as well. Um, make of that what you will. 0.7 of theirs was just their goal, uh, which would have been a lot less if they didn't get the deflection as well. So they didn't really create anything else. Yeah. Interesting to see you say that it sounded it felt like a, a championship game because I think the big game for us this season really in terms of what we wanted to see was the Crystal Palace game where we just controlled that game. And I think for me, the big question I have is is how how is it that we can control a game like that against Palace but don't control a, a game against Sheffield United who I think, you know, again, neither of those teams are particularly impressive. But um, it, it, it does feel as though this season has been sort of frenetic. We, in some games, we can control games. In other games, we can sort of lose control a little bit. And I, I wondered, Simon, what you made of that. What do you think it is about um, about this Leeds team that makes them so hard to read on a, on a sort of weekly basis? I think we, we struggle with any teams that are, when they press us. Um, I think Crystal Palace didn't press us at all. Uh, I think Sheffield United didn't press us that much. But the, the times when it looked a little bit frenetic um, were when they tried to apply pressure to our back line. I thought we, we gave the ball away quite a lot, like Darren said, quite sloppily, um, which, which doesn't help. Um, I, I also think we probably take more risks in an attacking sense than we did in the championship. Uh, I think Rafinha and, well, Rodrigo wasn't playing, but when, when he does, and I think Roberts as well, to some extent, um, will go for the high risk, high reward pass quite often. I think, I think that can often show up as a lack of control, uh, even though it, it can generate good opportunities. Yeah, I think that's true. I think quite often Rafinha will try the most difficult thing possible before we're, we've got any security in our possession at all. And I think that quite that, that means that we look bad in transition. And I thought that I was there were times when he looked amazing yesterday, and there were other times when I was absolutely doing my editing because he was just com, you know completely kind of looking for the most speculative thing possible, and and really putting us under quite a lot of pressure. That their goal being a really good example of that, which came from him doing exactly that. Yeah, I don't want to dig too deep into this because we've got a few questions about the, the loss of possession and control, which we'll get to in a bit. So let's move on to the, the, the general questions. Again, thank you for all of your questions. We had too many to fit all of them in, so uh, bear with us. We've, we've picked out the representative ones that cover the, the most subjects that we need to cover. So um, first question, which we had a couple of questions like this actually from Jip. Were there signs of complacency today? Felt that other times of the season we would have steamrolled a team like that. Darren, what did you make of that? I didn't read it as as complacency. Um, I I just read it as occasionally we 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 sh- we struggle when when we kind of get pressed in a mid block, which is the only time that they were really pressing yesterday was when the ball was going into our midfield and particularly in wide areas. Um, and 
that meant that it looked like there were plenty of times when we had lots of time on the ball. And, and you know, in our back third and in their final third, that was true. But we, we did struggle at times to kind of get the ball through 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 the kind of middle third as, as, as much as we might like. And I think that maybe White looked a bit like complacency. I also think, and I touched on it just a minute ago, that I think perhaps, I wouldn't say Rafinha has been complacent, but I think some of the things that he was doing spoke to maybe a, a slight overconfidence or a, a slight kind of, yeah, a, a will to look like the best player on the park. Whereas if he'd have just played more of his natural game, he would have been that anyway in any case so I, I i think if there was any complacency that's where it came from but i'd say overconfidence more than anything i think the thing that i took from the game yesterday was just how weak sheffield united were in their own final third and i think when you when you're on that scenario where we're where, where it's looking a little bit more open in the middle third and, and the opposition looking really weak in the final third, you feel as though you should be hammering a team. And I think we got into scenarios where, I mean, especially in the, in the second half when we had a, a number of attacking transitions that looked ridiculously dangerous, um, ending in nothing at all, then I, I think it's really hard to, to sort of judge, judge what's going on. Um, Simon, how are you on the complacency side of things? Yeah, I, th- I think I, I agree with Darren. I think if you if you put another of the good opportunities in in the net and you win four one, no one calls it complacent. I think it's it's partly a reflection on the scoreline. Uh, I, I agree with the point about Rafinha. I think it, it felt a bit like he was playing against the under twenty threes, and I think he probably felt a little bit like that. Felt like he could do anything, um, and and yeah, sometimes the simple ball would have been more helpful, but. I'm obviously very loath to criticise Rafinha for obvious reasons. Let's talk a little bit about the formation then, uh, the, the general structure, because there was a long discussion in the question um, thread about formation, uh, with people suggesting we could maybe have played a back four, maybe played a back three. What what formation were we playing, particularly at the back? Um, Darren, I'll get you you on this one. Did, what did you make of the structure? So I, it looked to me that when 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 Sheffield United had had the ball in the, their back third, we were playing something that looked a bit like a three five two. I think as they progressed up the pitch, we moved to something which looks more like a three 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 one or a three three one three. When we were in possession, our two centre backs were forming a pair, and 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 then uh, we were we were kind of going to that two three five type build up formation that we see us use at times. Um, and and in, in in attack, it looked very much as as you would not normally expect to. I think the variations to do with our defensive formation were purely to do with Sheffield United's 3-5-2 and trying to match it up and make sure that we press their centre-backs well, which which I thought we we did by and large, particularly in the first half. Um, and, and then making sure that, you know, that we kind of got, that we followed our men quite diligently and you know Simon's right they really didn't create anything except the goal I thought defensively we looked pretty solid and in that in those formations and uh, I think we spent a lot of time in the in the preview when I say we spent a lot of time we spent a lot of the time that we spent previewing Sheffield United talking. three of the five minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah we spent a lot of that time talking about whether or not you play Luke Ayling in that back three it transpired that that's what he did, and we did make a point of the fact that if you play Ailing as a as a right sided centre back in that back three, he has license to get forward a little bit more. And so, in possession, we very quickly looked like we moved into that that sort of back four with with Calvin Phillips sitting in the middle of it. Mike Turetsky had a question saying, "Hi guys, what do you think? Why do you think Bielsa opted for Ailing as a third centre back and not Koch or Pascal? Uh, Simon, what did you make of that?" There's probably two reasons. I think if you if you play Ailing as your third centre back, you have quite a lot more flexibility in game. 
So if Sheffield United move to a one striker at any point, you don't have to change the personnel. You can just shuffle the positions. I think I think the other thing is I think Ailing's probably our best ball progressor uh, in, in the back line. And I think having him either as the right back or as the right centre back gives you more in build up than either than either uh, Robin Cock or, or Pascal Strike would, would be my kind of why I would have opted. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. We had a question from Will as well saying do we agree with with Liam Cooper coming back into the team, um, which I, I don't think any of us will necessarily disagree with. Um, Liam Cooper is the club captain. He's also, I think, probably. And I mean, it's very hard to talk about defensive stats because it's it's very hard to measure what centre backs do well using data. But on all of the useful data that we have, Liam Cooper has probably been our best centre back this season as well. So it. Despite the fact that I think all of us as well, and I'm talking for the two of you, so I'll move over to let you have your say. But I, th- I think for all of us, pa- Pascal Strax had an absolutely amazing breakout season. Uh, but you don't have amazing breakout seasons and knock uh, the the club captain off his perch when he's playing the the best uh, football he's probably played in his career. So, um, Simon, I'll go to you on this. Do you, do you agree with Cooper coming back into the team? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think it's the logical decision. I think uh, as much as I love Pascal Strike and would like to see him play every game, I think that's my emotions overriding my, my brain. <laughs> uh, what about you, Darren? I know that that Cooper still has his has his quite vehement critics, but but to me, it's clear that that we we do look more solid when when Cooper's in the in the team. I think, and I also think if you're up against the sort of striker that McBurney is, and then Cooper's spent his career dealing with that sort of striker, the kind of you know who's effectively a championship level player. And I agree with Simon. You know, like I I absolutely love Pascal Strauch, and I've said that you know spoken about that many times on this this podcast. But at the moment his second choice to Cooper in that position. And if Cooper's fit, he's going to start. And and I don't think there's anything anything wrong with that. I think it's not going to harm Strauch's development to, to be the to be the backup to Cooper for now. Um and and he will get his chance. And when he does he'll take it. But for now Cooper is, you know, as you quite rightly said, all the st- the statistics show him being one of the most effective central defenders in in the division. Um so he's got he's got to be he is, and quite rightly, the first choice for that position. I feel as though I should say at this point, in my day job, I work for Analytics FC, who are a data football data company who uh, basically run a model which allows them to build a, a, a scouting tool, essentially. But I have access to that model as part of my job. And one of the interesting things for, for me is that this whole model is built on um, what what's often called a sort of possession value model, which is um, sounds sounds horrendously complex but but isn't really but it's it's not even technically a possession value model i'm told it's uh it's, it's based on um, what's called the markov chain model and essentially what the this model does is it takes all of the ev- events in a game and it tries to to give the the events value uh, above you know in the same way that xg tries to give value to chances it's trying to do that for every different type of event on on the pitch um and so when i put liam cooper through that model he just shows up he shows up really really well in terms of the the uh, value that he adds to leeds united um and even interestingly in terms of his progressive passing uh, both he and diego urente who we all agree is a, is a very good progressive passer. They have very, very similar uh, numbers as well this season. So I think a lot of people are underrating just quite how good um, Liam Cooper is. And um, yeah, I, I think on that basis, it's just very, very hard to to argue that he shouldn't be playing um, if he's fit. Um, 
let's move on and talk a little bit. So we've got a few more general questions. Callum MCC said, how did the midfield perform defensively? I felt like we defended poorly, but I also thought Llorente and Cooper had mostly good games. I'll go to you on this, Simon. What's your, your sort of gut take on this? Yeah, I, I, I saw that question and it, it's, it's not something I, I noticed when I was watching the game. Um, I, I thought the midfield was, was mostly fine. I think I think generally the team structurally defensively was was pretty good and it was it was shown in Sheffield United not creating much. I, I agree that Llorente and Cooper had good games as well. I was sort of that way as well. Um, I I felt as though maybe the issues were were more transitional. But I know Darren, you've got some thoughts on this. Yeah, I just I agree. I thought we defended you know m- mostly fine, but but when we when we were bad in transition, that that opens the entire team up and puts us under a lot of unnecessary pressure. And I thought we did that repeatedly yesterday. So. Yeah, I think when when Sheffield United managed to move the ball through the thirds, we didn't look like we were in any danger whatsoever and and they didn't really create anything at all. Anything that they did manage to create, we were kind of our own worst enemy uh, in that sense, giving the ball away when we're not in decent position to mop it up. It does feel a little bit sometimes as though in games like that, you we're we're always sort of treading a little bit of a fine line. That, and I guess this comes back to your your comment, Simon, about how it felt like a championship game. And it felt to me in a lot of those games where unless we were a couple of goals clear, you were always just a complete oppositional fluke away from you know conceding and 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 the giving up points. Uh, and I felt a little bit like like that yesterday. I felt as though you know they were going to just lock out a, a set piece somewhere and and maybe put us under pressure although obviously in the in the event it didn't actually I thought their set pieces were remarkably poor actually we we got quite a lot of uh, transitions ourselves out of that but um again I suppose this this comes back to what I was talking about before with the the, the maybe feeling a little bit confused as to why we can't control games against teams like Sheffield United and it just being so hard to judge how Leeds will do in certain games I think a lot of people thought we were going to go into this game and just comfortably roll Sheffield United over um, in, a, in a way that we have done with for example Newcastle and in both games against them they've been they've been tough to break down and um, they haven't looked like the worst team in the division per our playing against them so I don't know really where I'm going with this but um, yeah but I mean Sheffield United haven't lost heavily that many times have they I mean I know I know they 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 got turned over for five by Leicester, but they, but the, generally their games over the course of the season, although they've lost the majority of them, have been pretty tight. And and you know I, I think that must be something in Sheffield United's style which kind of contributes to that. Do we read into it though? Then do we do we look forward to next season and think there are certain you, you know the, there's a sort of general assumption I think amongst the fan base that we're as good as our best results and our poorer results are just not really indicative of anything it's just a sort of bad day at the office I don't know again that this is just anecdotal and stuff but I wondered if, if you would read into that in any way it's an interesting one that because I I, I sort of think that that we that, that there's a very real possibility that next season we improve our worst results i.e we don't lose 6-2 at Old Trafford we lose 1 or 2-0 and there, then there's a tangible improvement but actually that doesn't improve the, the the season as a whole at all does it because because we'll still end up I think broadly in the same or slightly improved position next season so yeah I, th- I think that yes yeah, it's it's, an, it's a really interesting question and and maybe probably one for another day but it's yeah I think we um if we can improve 
our worst results and 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 our worst performances and and sort of make sure that we are able to control games in 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 ways that we did in the championship but that by and large we haven't been able to do in the premier league that games might become a more comfortable like a more predictable experience than the kind of wild variation in results and performances that we've seen across the course of this season i think if you if you take a look at some of our worst results there's there's some clear weaknesses in teams that exploit them well have, have shown us up particularly i'm thinking getting pressed in wide areas here and so if you if you do make a couple of improvements and especially a left back um where alioski his particular weakness is is build up under pressure uh probably the least press resistant player i've seen in a long time <laughs> ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah potentially <laughs> What you do is you re- you reduce the number of weaknesses that other teams can exploit, and and that will you you'll not lose six two, um, and you may lose one nil, but you also increase your chances of getting a result, and and that will show up over the thirty eight games. Yeah, Alioski struggles to break his own press sometimes. I think, which is a, a <laughs> remarkable <laughs> turn of events. LUFC Josh says first twenty minutes of the second half was sensational. The last twenty five, it felt like something changed. What did we do differently, or what did Sheffield change to cause this, Simon? Like Darren's put in the note, uh, Bamford coming off, and we've seen it time and time again. He's so crucial to to the to the press from the front, and it, and we often lose control when he's off the pitch. Yeah, we went to kind of more of a mid block until Click came on, didn't we? It was I thought it was quite noticeable that we we weren't really pressing at all at that point, and it, it again meant that not only were we putting ourselves under unnecessary pressure, but that we weren't able to create the sort of chances from pressing that we ordinarily do either. Let's go to the question on Rodrigo here because I think a lot of this does come down to him. So Kia Milburn says, any sign of improvement in Rodrigo's pressing and positional play? We seemed a lot easier to play through in the first 10 minutes after Bamford came off, but perhaps the high press was abandoned due to match day. And that, that's what you're you're talking about there, Darren, that we we sat we did sit in a bit more of a, a mid-blocky kind of thing, which is really weird to see. Um, one thing to say is that uh, Jamie Kemp over on LUFC blog put up a, a graphic showing the, the high press turnovers that we had this game. And it was the... The highest game in terms of high press turnovers for us um, and clearly that dropped off after the 70 minutes so it's, I think that that made it even more noticeable that we moved from a scenario where we were pressing high and doing really well in the first half uh, and in the first part of the second half and then that suddenly dropped off in uh, as soon as Bamford came off but I'll, I'll, I'll put this over to you Simon because we we've talked a lot about how Rodrigo's pressing is is not good enough um, and it would be nice to have a, a neutral opinion on this what's your sort of take on the on the whole what does the future of Rodrigo look like if he can't get the pressing sorted out? Yeah, I was I was having a look at it because I was I was trying to uh, see whether my eyes were fooling me, and so I tried to look at some of the data, and I was quite surprised um, that Roberts and Rodrigo essentially have similar numbers of pressures per ninety and similar numbers of successful pressures. So that's when the team regains the the ball within five seconds of the, of the pressure, and 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 it, that kind of suggests to me that it's not like he's pressing out of time. Um, the other thing that does stand out from data is he is just an awful tackler. Um, whenever anyone tries to dribble past him, uh, they usually manage to achieve it. And so, I, 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 and this is contrary to what I thought before. I thought before Rodrigo just needed a bit more time to learn the system, whereas I think actually it may be a like technical tackling deficiency um, that's causing him to look kind of out of place in the press. And then obviously that disrupts the whole of the man marking system as soon as you have one player dribble past. Yeah, this is something that actually we've come up against a few times. There's been a few times where we've been critical of Rodrigo's pressing and people have then gone to the FB ref data and they've said, but actually, if you look at his his pressing, he's pretty much comparable to Tyler Roberts, as you've said, as he was yesterday. And also he has quite a good success, right? And um, I think 
having having done that a few times and having then gone back and rewatched the game and I tested it, I think he he largely is like a he he largely is an okay presser insofar as he does get to players, he does put them under pressure, um, but also I think like you said there is a technical deficiency there. He's actually often played past in the press, and then you'll see often because of that five seconds leeway with the successful pressures, because Leeds are so high pressure, someone may win it back in the next pressure. And so that, that stacks up as a as a positive uh, pressure for him as well. Um, now, obviously, that's just me doing eye test on a few of, of these matches. But I do think there's something in that. I think that you we can we can talk all we like about successful pressures. And I think most of the Leeds team do show up quite well in terms of uh, pressures for this reason. But uh, I do think there are, like you say, technical deficiencies where um, he's, he's, he'll often press from behind the player and I think it will count as a pressure. But you're, he's still allowing that player to play the ball down the field um, into, into the feet of, of other players as well. But Darren, what, what's your take on this? Yeah, absolutely the same really because, yeah, the numbers do show one thing but, but clearly when, whenever, whenever he's on the pitch really we, we do struggle to, to win the ball high up and that, that there are that, that sort of clear gaps start to appear which which opposition are, are often really able to exploit or like yesterday we end up completely really abandoning the thing which has got us the most success during the game which which really made that last 25 minutes much more difficult than it necessarily needed to be because I, I felt I really felt the entire way through that Sheffield United were really there for the taking and, and all we needed to do was kind of really ma- maintain an intensity and a pressure and that eventually they would gift us a goal much like Fulham were, you know Fulham did because they weren't able to get through our press when we applied it so yeah I, I, I sort of you know I, I know that we've been quite critical of, of Rodrigo and, and everything um and and I, I I don't like feeling like that about players because I I actually do genuinely think he's a really really good put, good player. I think he would have been much better at Everton or Leicester or Villa or you know one of those teams that don't necessarily put do as much or high um, high press with as much con- consistency or intensity, and th- and then you can you know kind of uses on the ball stuff much more effectively but I just think he's the wrong fit for this team and and I, I you know I hope that I'm wrong and I hope that he improves next season but but I, I just don't think that the evidence of the matches that he's played in stack up to, to that. It does seem like a transfer that had sort of a high likelihood of not working given that he was he'd never really played sort of high pressing football he was 29 nearly 30 when we brought him in uh, he was quite expensive as well so I think a lot of our criticism comes from that sort of perspective that we've now basically lumbered our squad with a, a player who who you, you sort of feel obliged to play um who he's presumably taking a fairly big wage uh, packet as well and and so in that sense it's it's sort of hard to to justify it and like this season if he's still around next season there will be you know five to eight maybe ten games where where he looks really good and then and then the rest where where he's is much more difficult to kind of fit in or to make a case for him for having a place in the starting 11 so yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it's worth adding that his 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 in attack he's been very very good. Uh, his his numbers are excellent all around in terms of creation, getting on the end of chances, ball progression, and so on. I think the 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 question is is it worth absorbing his lack of pressing uh, for the upside that you get in the attacking sense or not, and and that would require a change in the midfield. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's one, he's very creative, but two, I think he's he's creative in a different way to Click. I think Click's maybe more of a volume creation player, whereas with Rodrigo, I think it feels a little bit more, and a lot of the data stacks up on this as well, actually, that he that his the chances that he creates are more dangerous. Um, and and yeah, the, the none of us would would 
argue that he isn't probably our most. Uh, I mean, you just have to look at his pedigree, right? There's there's a reason why he's played Champions League football for so long. There's a reason why he's played international football for so long. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it, it is just a question of how do you make him work in this team, and it doesn't feel as though we've really quite got the got the hang of how we do that. Um, still got questions about the game actually in terms of what was going on in, on the pitch so Jack Chamin said are we seeing Phillips pushing higher up to win possession back might be after watching Rafa's goal at Fulham or watching him play as an 8 for England but it feels like we're seeing a few chances recently created from a KP pressure in the final third I mean obviously one of those Fulham goals was created by a KP pressure in the final third um, I, I don't know what I think on this I feel as though you, you know there's a certain level of of stricture because you have to follow your the man that you're marking so however high up the field Phillips is is usually dependent on however high up his marking responsibility is up the field and I think he was was he was he marking Lundstrom yesterday I can't remember that was I think that was the one where he turned the ball over or he dropped really high picked the ball up off off quite a sloppy touch from Lundstrom and then had that shot down to Ramsdale's uh, right hand side when um, when when Ramsdale was sort of in the build up play in a bit out of position but um, yeah I'll put this over to you Simon let's start with you what do you think we're seeing Phillips pushing higher up is it just a case that you know he was following players who ended up dropping deeper I think it's it's more the latter I think Sheffield United play without without a true 10 and uh, so his starting position was just quite a lot higher than it normally is uh, I, th- I don't think there's anything uh, kind of wider going on I haven't I haven't been looking out for it I'll keep an eye on it in future games but I haven't noticed it before today I think when he, when he plays um, in the midfield when we play back three his starting position tends to be a little bit higher than it would in, in the four anyway so I think that probably contributes a little bit to it yep one final question on on the sort of match state uh, was from Yudav Chawan, who said, "Was defensive duties were defensive duties the reason behind Harrison and Rafinha swapping wings?" So, Darren, did you what did you make of that? I thought that throughout the game, our, our right winger, and I say that advisedly because Harrison actually played as part of the the two for quite a lot of the first half. But the the person on the the right tended to sit deeper and tended to be the person who was the first pass in in transition. Um, and as we saw repeatedly in the first half, Rafinha gave it away too often or tried uh, things that were a bit too speculative too often. And I thought Harrison was just a bit more solid and diligent when he when he dropped in there in the in the in the second half, which is you know kind of a reasonably good description of Harrison uh, at the best of times, isn't it? So and I, I thought that it meant that we could try and get Rafinha higher up the pitch um, and try hit him sooner. Um, I don't think that really worked out, and I thought it was one of those games where Rafinha looks looks worse on the left than he does on the right. But I think that I think that's mostly because he very much had the beating of his opposition number when he was playing on the right, and was able to kind of get past him quite a few times, and um, that opens things up, doesn't it? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Oh! <laughs> 
let's move on and talk about Stuart Dallas, who I think actually was probably my man of the match yesterday. I thought he was really good, um, both in terms of just his his energy, uh, but also I thought he, he largely contributed quite well in in, in um, transitioning the ball forward as well. Um, again, I didn't think that Sheffield United were up to much in, in the central midfield area, um, which probably contributed it to to it. But we had a few questions um, about Dallas. Uh, next season so Mike Turetsky says all the talk is of getting a new left back and centre midfield and those are primarily Dallas's positions but surely our possible player of the season is now an integral player in the starting 11 for next season is Dallas undroppable and Chris Kirk says is Dallas a genuine option now for uh, for at eight for next season so um, let's start with you uh, Darren let, what, what's your take on this oh thanks you've thrown me a right hospital <laughs> pass there, haven't you? <laughs> well Clearly, Dallas has been our, our best performer for the last couple of months, and and he's he's been an absolutely integral cog in the team. And and again, he was very good yesterday for all the reasons that we've talked about many times: his energy, his decision making, his ability to kind of hold uh, decent positions, um, and and all of those things. You know, I, I absolutely wouldn't take away from him. Whether whether he's a genuine option for for eight next season, what I would say is that we we will bring someone in. Uh, Next, you know, next season, I think, and and Dallas's job will be to to persuade Bielsa that he deserves the shirt more than the new signing, um, and whether whether he's capable of doing that, I don't know. I think if we if we're going to start to look for the sort of control that we had at times in the Championship when we had Click Forshaw, Phillips, and Pablo all playing together, and basically the opposition couldn't get the ball, I don't think Dallas is going to be the man. That, that is able to play in that sort of system, and I think that that's that's that might be the thing which which sees him um sees him drop out. But if if next season we go into it and we're still kind of playing quite transitionally and we're still trying to create chaos uh, like we do at times, and I think then I think he's still a really good option there. But I think Bielsa will be looking for um more control, um and and Dallas's role in the team will probably slip back a little bit as a result of that. I agree. I think it's it's no secret Dallas has been been excellent this year. I think he was excellent again yesterday. Um particularly as his, his counter pressing was, was superb as well. Uh I, I think in terms of squad construction, um Dallas is twenty nine now uh, and so we do need to be kind of like have half an eye on on replacing Dallas just in terms of age curves. And I think even though he, I, I agree with Darren's assessment that he, he probably won't start the season as first choice, but he will be first change at both left back and central midfield. So I'd still expect I'd still expect him to get a lot of minutes, and if he performs well, we know Bielsa will, will, will keep you in the team if you're if you're playing well and you've got the shirt. Yeah, totally agree with that. And um, I think one of the points that I've made a few times on this podcast is that Dallas is playing well because we've basically created a position for him to solve a problem that we have and he's been absolutely excellent at doing that but as as you mentioned there Darren it's it's not the ideal world I don't think for Bielsa I don't think Bielsa ideally wants to have a player who's essentially zonally marking a lot of the time in, in when the opposition have the ball in his central midfield I think he wants a little bit more of a of a a higher press probably uh, but we can't afford to do that with the with the squad that we have at the moment so it's it's really going to be fascinating I think I think next season over the summer really seeing who we bring in whether or not we bring in someone who is you know a sort of high energy attacking player who can do that um, that that sort of work cough cough Emmy Buendia um, but 
Um, that just makes me sad that, that we won't see Emmy Buendia. But someone like Buendia who would <laughs> solve all of the problems that we have, hopefully we'll get someone someone like that. And I think if you do that, then you start you start ra- raising questions about you know what the ideal 11 then starts looking like. It probably looks a little bit different. But that's obviously no slight on, on Stuart Dallas, who's been fantastic this season. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just the way that football goes, uh, I'm afraid. It's, you, you know, you, you can have a player playing fantastic one season and then uh, the, the squad composition changes the next and uh, and you can have casualties to that but I think he'll definitely be around he's he'll he'll see out his career probably or at least the the next chunk of his career uh, before maybe moving on somewhere else at Leeds and I think Leeds will be the better side for it it's it's just incredible having a player who is that flexible um you can you can basically make him do anything and know that he's going to do the job well both um, in terms of his performance, but also tactically as well, he's he's a really smart player, uh, and uh, it's been great watching him this season. And I'm happy to eat my hat on that one because uh, I didn't think that he would ever be as good as he's been this season. So I'm happy to to take the L on that one. <laughs> Let's talk about Rafinha. Uh, we've already talked a lot about losses, losses of possession, um, and and maybe Rafinha being a little bit too flamboyant in possession. So Richard Lang says Rafinha at the core of our creativity again however it is the team's view that he was guilty of losing losing the ball too often today where an easier ball seemed the better option. Uh, Jamie Smith says who gives the ball away more per 90 Rafinha or Roberts Rafinha loses possession a lot but goes gets nowhere near the amount of stick that Roberts does for the record I don't mind either of them losing the ball attacking players are supposed to take risks and then Brolin ate the pie says many comments on here regarding a loss of possession all stats on we have discussed this as a function of the attacking strategy deployed by Bielsa so is there data that supports the contention better players in attacking transitions lose possession less all stats on we have suggested this may be so I think just to colour that question at the end uh, I think the, the suggestion is that, that when we bring in better players uh, we will retain the ball um, in possession more in attacking transition uh, and um, and I think we, we've said that a few times on on this podcast I'll go to you um, I'll go to you Darren first on this um, what's, what's your take on let's let's not talk about Rafinha in general I think because we've covered that but let's talk a little bit more about this idea that you you sort of have a certain amount of lenience with players in a, a particularly attacking creative players losing possession what do you make of that I think that there, there are certain phases of play where it's perfectly accept, acceptable to kind of go well yeah an attacking player is going to try something speculative they're going to try something difficult and, and and it may or may not come off I think I think the problem yesterday was that there were times when we weren't doing that when we were when when the 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 phase of play in which people were trying to to do the more speculative or difficult or creative things was was before the team had kind of got any sort of positional uh, positional solidity so that we were ready to catch any counters if they came. Um, for me, I any attacking player and and you know we we used to see this all the time in the championship if if Pablo gave the ball away a lot in the final third. You know, the, the mentions were being undated with, oh, Pablo's broken, Pablo's passed it, Pablo's gone, yada, yada, yada. Um, when actually Pablo give, gave the ball away a lot in every game. Uh, and, and generally those, but, but the thing that he would do is he would try and do it in areas where it wasn't necessarily going to cause us a lot of harm. Um, and I think that perhaps better decision making is, is what you get rather than better technical skill with, with the really elite players that we need to be looking to, to bring in next season. Simon, you'll definitely have an opinion on this. What, what do you make of this question? I agree with Darren. I think um, the better your players are, the the more completion you're going to get for any level of risk. Um, and so if you have better players, you, you could lose possession less or you could uh, take more risks and generate more attack. And, and so you just kind of you moved yourself up, up the trade-off. Um, 
I, th- I think Rafinha is a very direct player, which I think um, is part of his strength, but also does, does mean that we have uh, issues in transition. I think um, he's very, very good in open space. Um, and, 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 I, and I think it's often to his, to his like, our credit um, that we, we kind of let him loose on that rather than and sacrifice a bit of control as a result. I think the the question about Rafinha and Roberts is interesting because I think I haven't looked at the data. I imagine it's probably right they give the ball away similar amounts. I think the the reason Rafinha doesn't get the the amount of stick, other partly because Robert gets a lot, a lot of unfair stick, but um, <laughs> part, partly because Rafinha does generate more attack as a result of, of for the same kind of cost. Um, and you've got to, kind of got to look at both sides of the equation. Yeah, I also wonder how much the fact that we play man marking comes into this as well. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've already talked about how Rafinha was giving the ball away quite deep yesterday because he was playing on that right-hand wing-back uh, wing role for, for the first part of the game and he was losing the ball in those dangerous areas. And um, I think that, you know, the part, of the part of the reason was just so that when Rafinha did lose the ball, he was just losing it further up the field. Um I also think that they, they, these mistakes become so much more obvious when when you play a man marking system. So, for example, their goal came from Rafinha losing the ball, and then us being in a defensive transition where we just looked a complete mess, really, um, in terms of the the man marking structure as well. So, I, I think there's maybe it, it, there's maybe an argument to be made that that a team like Leeds has to be hyper aware of players like that or, or manage them well, and I, I guess that's what that that switch from left to right or right to left sorry was was about yesterday um i also think it's worth saying that you know players like kevin de bruyne are, are similar if you look at kevin de bruyne's stats he he is turning the ball over a lot because he is trying those creative things and i think rafinha is a better player than roberts no one's no one's arguing otherwise so um rafinha does get you know he does get away with a lot more because i think he also creates as, as you said simon a lot more as well and it's um yeah the, i think with rafinha as well how many goals do we create that we wouldn't have created if Rafinha wasn't on the pitch yesterday's Harrison goal was all about Rafinha I mean Roberts Roberts did the pre-assists on both the goals yesterday it should should also be said um and Roberts's ball to to Rafinha was 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 obviously good for the Harrison goal but you know there was a difference between what those two players did and um that yeah the, the the level that Rafinha is at is just incredible I think there's so many instances where you see him just making incredible decisions on the ball he just puts the ball in the right space between cent- between defenders. Uh, even even yesterday, he breezes, he breezes through that defensive line to hit the byline so easily. The the goal against Fulham again is a goal where I think most players, if they were presented with a ball that Bamford put in for Rafinha, don't score that because it was just too close to the, the centre back. And Bamford actually said in the post match interview, "I put it closer to the defender because I knew that Rafinha would either you know get the ball through or win a penalty." Um, and that that's the that's the difference between Roberts and Rafinha is I don't think you don't you don't that his teammates aren't making those sorts of passes thinking this is Roberts he's definitely going to be able to create a chance out of nothing here it's 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 just the way that it is so but I do think I agree with you Simon that the Roberts is is getting unfairly maligned so maybe we should talk a little bit about Roberts now because we had a few questions about Roberts uh, Mark Dennett said uh, well I'm happy to eat my words on Roberts but how many uh, how many chances did he create today he was great uh, Chris Wolford said thoughts on Roberts thought he was excellent today and one of our best creative outlets seems to be a confidence player best game in a lead shirt question mark uh, and should he now start consistently over our other options in that role uh, Old Thorntonian says Roberts on the cusp of a true breakout game how many will he inspire us to beat Man City third 11 by next week um, so yeah let's go to you um, Simon on this because I'm, I'm always interested to hear 
uh, a voice that I haven't heard on 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 a player that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. So, what do you make of Roberts? The most exciting thing for me is is the kind of upward trajectory. You, you're seeing the, the clear improvement versus not just uh, earlier this season, but also last season as well. I think he he's he's finally getting a, a run of games in the team, and you can see that he's kind of in a good rhythm and 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 is. Uh, like showing a lot of improvements both in his decision making and um, technically as well. I think at age 22, it's it's not unsurprising. It's the kind of make or break age, really. Um, you you tend to either make a, a bit of a leap around that kind of 21 to 23 age, or or you don't. Um, it, in the data, uh, that it's it's not particularly impressive in terms of final third output this year. Um, I, I think he's he, he definitely struggled er- earlier this season. I think he he still can improve his decision-making in the final third. I think his, his ball progression, um, particularly through carrying the ball forward, um, has been has been very impressive in, in recent weeks. So, yeah, excited excited to see where his potential could lie. Yeah, and I think it's a real... Um... Uh, it's a real check mark against Bielsa that he's happy to take players and develop them in that way. You know, we've seen that with with Pascal Strauch as well. I think no Leeds fan after that Cardiff game last season would ever have really wanted to see Pascal Strauch in a Leeds shirt again. And now he's become probably one of the best young centre backs in in the division just through dint of having the time to develop. And it's it's it just you, you know on the one hand on this podcast we often say. You don't just throw under 23s in into first team football and expect it to work out. Uh, but when you do have players who are at the level who can perform, it's a real testament to Bielsa that he he does that with with players like Strauch and Roberts. And I think if you if you can't see that trajectory as, that you've talked about, Simon, uh, with with Roberts, then that then I, I, I don't know what what to say because I think it's just been so clear that we've been we've been patient with Roberts and we've 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 seen that that genuine uptick in, in terms of his output and I think the same is true of, of Pascal Strauch as well you know he's just looked, looked more and more calm and assured and I think just the, the 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 idea of playing a game and knowing that you're not going to be dropped off the back of a poor performance is just so important for for, for development but um, Darren have you got any closing thoughts on, on Tyler Roberts before we move on? No just that he's been re- you know really good since he came back into the team and and, and I'm, I've been really pleased to see it I mean you know I'm on record as saying before that, that I'm a big fan of his I think he's got a got a much bigger upside than a lot of people seem to think he's he's got and just that pass for the uh for the own goal yesterday was was just absolutely fantastic and you know it was one of one of the moments of real true quality in the game that, that were largely provided by him and Rafinha um and Roberts you know for the last what seven or eight games has been involved in everything good that good that the team's done so just you know more credit to him Right, it's that time of the podcast where I'm forced to talk about Urente and I re- <laughs> regret it and um, everyone else regrets it and we all wish it never happened, but here we are. Um, Neil says, is it time for a Urente apology piece? I noticed on the latest podcast that once again, you don't seem to rate him. Can't think of any serious errors he's made and he looks very comfortable at the back. Now, I just want to give some caveats because I think we'll get Simon to talk about Urente because uh, Simon is a, is, is a neutral voice and um, I think he's a bit more positive than, than maybe we've been on Urente. But I do want to say that there seems to be this idea that there is a general all stats on we attitude on Urente, and I just want to demystify that a little bit because I don't think that's true at all. I think there's a spectrum of of takes on Urente from all stats on we, which range from Josh Hobbs, who's I think pretty positive about him, uh, all the way through to probably Darren, who who is probably <laughs> the least positive about him. And I think there's and I think there's reasons for that. Um, you, you know, Josh Hobbs loves a through ball. 
and Llorente plays some great through balls. Darren uh, loves defending. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this question, there, there are questions to be raised about Llorente's defending. So um, with that in mind, I, there, it, it almost seems as though after every game we sort of we get a question about Urente, and I don't want to have to talk about Urente all the time. I think uh, it would just be good to contextualise that our original criticisms and those original criticisms were my criticisms. Um, so I don't think they should be held against the the other guys here. But I watched a lot of his minutes last season for for Sociedad. Um, there's certain questions I have about him that that I still have about him. Um, I think that where I should maybe hold my hand up is that I think I maybe underrated how good he would be against lower league sides. And I think it's important to note that the games that he's played well in have been against teams like um, uh, Fulham. Uh, we've seen him really good against Southampton as well. Um, and and Sheffield United, I think he was fine yesterday as well. So um, I think maybe I've been too negative on, on him in how well he would do in those games. Um, but as we've said, you know, there haven't been many games where he's had to uh, do a huge amount in terms of defensive work, particularly um, with quick players running at him. Uh, and I think that will be where we, we discover just how, how, how good or bad he's going to be. Um, but um, I would say that there are, there, I do still have a few defensive criticisms of him and I don't think it's unfair to raise those criticisms. Um, I think he's been pretty good one-on-one and since the first few games he played and no doubt that was because his fitness got back he got a little bit more confidence um, but I do think that he is a bit of a, pos- a positionally weak player at times so I've, I found a few clips yesterday where his positioning was a little bit poor and I think this may have been because he was playing in the centre of back three um, and I think he would prefer to play as a right centre back in that back three I think I would prefer to have him there but obviously if you're going to play Ailing there then it's, it sort of raises questions about where you fit him in so they played him in the in the centre and I think he needs he needs to have a man marking player against whom he can orientate himself positionally and in the center of that back three he was playing as a as the libero the floating player and at times i think it means that he 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 almost sort of steps too far back He's, he hides a little bit from from stepping up there's a few chances i found where um players go one on one with with um opponents in front of goal and he should have been backing up and he wasn't um and yeah, I, th- I think there's also a, a case to be made that he should have tried to get something on the ball for their goal as well. Um, but I think he was—he was—I think he's been largely really good for for us this season. Um, and so I'm happy to take the again take the L on maybe being a little bit too down on him against lower uh, table sides. And I think he'll be a, a really useful player for us, in, especially in those games where we need someone who has a bit more of a uh, ability to progress the ball from from deep. So there's my sermon over. I'll pass you over to Simon, who is now going to tell tell you all why I'm so wrong on on your end. I think that's that's mostly fair. I'd probably put a slightly more positive spin on it. I think Yorente um, is a very active defender. He he when you when you look at the numbers, he has of our central defenders the most most tackles, most interceptions, most pressures, uh, most clearances, um, which is in part um, a, a style thing, and I think in part points to a slight positional weakness, which means that he has to do more defending. Um, I, I think he probably is a very, very good one-on-one defender. Pro- probably our best centre back uh, technically as a tackler. Um, I think he, he very rarely gets dribbled past. Uh, again, att- attempts a lot of tackles, so you see like a higher frequency of getting dribbled past, but not proportionally. If that makes sense. Uh, I, I think probably slightly underrated defensively, uh, and probably slightly overrated uh, on the ball. Uh, I think I think the, he does a lot of the eye-catching things. He, he, he takes more risks 
than our other centre backs in the ball. And and when they they come off, they look spectacular and and can disrupt the opposition. But I think the frequency of which he he does good attacking things is is, is lower, um, which I, I know you you touched on multiple times in previous episodes. Uh, overall, I think um, I I for me he's the best right sided centre back at the club. Um, I think that's partly because I have more reservations on Robin Cop than your average fan. Um, but but I think both of them um, have have done absolutely fine overall. Yeah, and I think that you know people talk about the all stats, aren't we? Position. I think we would all agree that I think most of us would agree that Urente should be starting at right centre back, and and then I mean it's 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 Urente then Koch, and then I think Cooper then Strauch. I think that's you know there's there's not many people at the club who who would disagree with that, and I think a lot of the disagreements over Urente are more to do with like narratival positions rather than anything else like most people aren't disagreeing that much I think people agree that he's a good on the ball sometimes he can be a little bit flaky defensively and uh, yeah I think that's 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 the general uh, the, the general take Darren I'll let you um, push back on that I wasn't going to go into a, a, a long thing <laughs> but but all I want to say is that the, the, the qualities that people can see in him I can also see I can see that he's good on the ball I can see that that he's really good at stepping out and killing opposition transitions into attack and to kind of getting in front of his in front of his man. I can see that he's very active and therefore so even the defensive things that he does well are quite eye catching in, in ways that other players other players aren't. Um I I've been you know really kind of clear in, in past episodes about about some of my reservations about him and, and I think that w- one of the things that I that I kind of struggle with is when when the opposition are around the box and on the ball and in comfortable possession he seems to get a bit hypnotized by the ball uh, and and that can mean that he lose either loses the the man or or, or kind of loses loses orientation um so yeah, that, that that's the stuff that worries me, um, and I, and and I know people were really excited by his involvement in our goal yesterday and and everything. T- frankly, I don't care whether a centre back can do a Cruyff turn. That's not important to me. Although I can see it is eye catching, and and that it did help us to get up the, the pitch in, in 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 a good way. But you know, I think overall, what I'd say is he's he, he's done well in these games recently. But I think the games that we've played recently have kind of played to his strengths. I think some of the games that we're going to see. Um, in the next three games, are, are going to perhaps play to some of the things that I think might be his weaknesses, and I, and I think I'd rather judge on the whole picture after that run of games or at the end of the season when you get a, a, tr- a truer sample size and a truer kind of variation of sample before making a final final judgment. But I, you know, I, I do appreciate that he's got very very clear qualities. Um, it's just that I can see some things in his defending which worry me, and and I, that's all I can really say about it. I think in the interest of balance, it's worth saying that Liam Cooper against Manchester City, Manchester United and Liverpool worries me a little bit as well. I don't think it's it's not the case that, you know, we're just simply saying, well, you know, he's, if he has three three bad performances against um, against those teams, suddenly we're going to we're going to say that, well, yeah, here we are. We were right about him all along. I think for me, he's a very fine line defender. I think you've mentioned this, Simon, that he that he sort of has to do a lot defensively sometimes to make up for positional stuff. And I think that the, the, the things that worry me about those games is that you can get away with sort of jumping in into challenges against Ollie McBurney and, and David McGoldrick. But w- when you're doing that against players like 
Phil Foden and, and Raheem Sterling, you're probably not going to get away with it as much. But I think it's a, st- it's a stylistic thing what you prefer. I prefer defenders who look like they never really need to going to make a tackle. That that's just how I, I prefer defenders who manage to kill danger by positioning and by by jockeying and moving the player into better positions. It's just a stylistic thing. Uh, do you want to come back on anything, Simon, that we've said? No, I, I think that's it's all pretty fair, really. Nothing more to add. So one final question was from James Holt Martin, where he had talked about Robin Koch in centre midfield. Now, obviously, Robin Koch has been out because of a knee injury for uh, a good long while. And we've seen him come back in under 23s games and we saw him come back in the Fulham game and the game yesterday. And he was brought into central midfield. Um, so James Holt Martin says, yeah, could you see Robin Koch play in the midfield and Dallas going back to left back? Um, I'm just interested in what you guys think of the reasoning behind just bringing Koch in at centre midfield. Do you think it's simply just a break him in gently, bring him in alongside Calvin Phillips, don't have him do too much too early, um, rather than just sort of dumping him in the back line straight away and, and sort of maybe causing him problems if he if he if he's feeling a little bit tentative on his knee. But I'll go with you, Simon, first. What's your take on, on this? Or do you think obviously that we could be eventually sort of using him as a backup centre midfielder in some way? Yeah, I mean he he, he played in defensive midfielder for, for Freiburg, but I I don't see him playing many minutes in, in midfield for us. I think this is uh maybe Bielsa drinking the pragmatism Kool-Aid slightly and uh it's is a defensive substitution when we've been been narrowly up in a game in in, in the latter stages. Um I think, like we've we've touched on with Dallas earlier in the pod, I think the the role that Dallas is playing is is not your typical midfield role uh, in a in a Bielsa system. I don't think you could just interchange Robin Cock in there, um, and, and and so I, I don't I don't see that kind of change being being kind of long long term. The suggestion would be, uh, I suppose, that, that if Cock were to come in in that defensive midfield position, that he'd push Calvin up into the role that Dallas is cu- currently doing, wouldn't it? I think that would be the... If there is any logic to that as an idea, that would be the logic, wouldn't it, I think? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I watched Freiburg quite a lot. I follow them in the Bundesliga, so I watched most of his minutes last season, if not all of his minutes. And I am not a great fan of him playing in central midfield. Um, I'll be honest, he, he does look like a centre-back playing as a midfielder, um, which, you know, maybe we, we have argued in the past means that he would be able to play in that defensive midfield position, but I don't think he's ever going to displace Calvin Phillips in that position. And um, I, I suspect I suspect this is more about Bielsa, like you said, drinking the pragmatism Kool-Aid and, and not, not simply just giving him an easy position to come back in but also giving him the option to play in that position so that if he does need to play in that position he's got experience playing in that position in the lead system I wouldn't expect to see him playing centre midfield very often either far be it for me to say that I think this is what Bielsa will do because I often think that he'll do something and then doesn't do it or does it does it completely the wrong way namely bringing him back as a as a centre midfielder in the under 23s game I just thought there was no chance that that was going to happen um, so who knows what Bielsa's got planned but I don't think we'll see huge amounts of minutes of, of him in, in the central midfield space. As much as Alioski worries me in the in the forthcoming games, I really don't see a good argument for, for taking Dallas out of the central midfield at the moment and moving him to left back. I think that would be a folly. Agree with that, yeah. Especially I think given that we're safe now. Yeah. I think that it's just going to be the case of like sucking up, getting through the last eight games with with, with Alioski in and being like, that's that's fine. Well, we've arrived at the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Simon, for coming on. I hope it wasn't too torturous for you. No, it was great. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks for having me on. Mm. Yeah, hopefully we'll have you on more in the future. Darren, but yeah, thanks for coming on, I suppose. Yeah, cheers, always hearing, cheers, hearing, hearing about <laughs> <laughs> We'll be back later this week with a Manchester City preview. 
other than that all i should say is if you do like what we do and want to get a little bit more of it then do sign up to our patreon where we put video analysis and we have bonus podcasts as well i should also say that we've got another episode of Auto's list coming up this week i think where we're looking at attacking midfielders which should be fun so that will be on thursday at 8 p.m um that's with me josh hobbs and joe donahue over on our youtube channel but until then all i have to do is to say thank you to darren thank you and thank you simon cheers bye and we'll see you soon deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.